What's up, everybody, and welcome to Apartment 113 Podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and we're back with a great episode two for you all. Today, we're joined by Dan Whitmers, the founder of Digital Phoenix Consulting. Dan is also a certified Gangier, like myself. He and I were part of the same graduating class for the Gangier program in the spring of 2022. Digital Phoenix Consulting offers experienced brand and marketing services for the cannabis industry. Find out more at digitalphoenix.co. Dan, how are you doing today, man? Doing well, man. Doing well. Excellent. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Glad to be here. It's been a minute since we saw each other face-to-face here out at the Gangier campus. It seems like you've been staying busy since then. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, no, I, would, I think it was May of last year uh, when we met up. So Ooh, Time uh, flies. I know, and, and, and the industry is uh, 180 degrees of, of where it was <laughs> at that point. So, you know, it's, um, it's always an adventure. Yeah, I think what happens in normal industries over a period of 15 to 20 years happens in cannabis in like two one and a half <laughs> three months <laughs> yeah dude this cycle is quick it is man and, and all, i mean that's partially why why i you know why i love working in it too you know my my background is actually uh in traditional media marketing and agency work working with like fortune 500s and i, I cut my teeth and really got in deep in the mobile media space when mobile first kind of came about in uh, like 2006, 2007, 2008, right in there, Apple launched the iPhone, the app store came out and like, there was just this huge frenzy. Right. <laughs> and I think, yeah, interesting. I, think we, I think we kind of experienced that like over the last few years with regards to cannabis and then definitely you know, a similar rush as the new, the new cash crop or kind of the new, uh, the new hotness. Yeah. And then like every six months, it's a completely different industry and things have changed and you're, you're talking about new stuff and, you know, the old stuff is no longer relevant and it's just, it, it's exciting, uh, and nerve wracking and, and frustrating all at the same time. But, uh, that's, I think why we love it. Yeah. It's definitely a, a fun space to be in. And I imagine from seeing those, those companies from a marketing perspective and seeing the boom of the mobile industry, uh, you can draw some great connections or you're ready to help cannabis indus- industry or cannabis companies market. Yeah, well, I think the the biggest thing that really, you know, equals out on both sides of that fence is when mobile first came about. If it didn't exist, we just built it, right? It, you know, a lot of a lot of the time we were just building infrastructure as we went, uh, and and more often than not, we didn't have access to certain tools and information and stuff that your traditional digital companies did. And so, you know, similarly in cannabis, it's it's you know consistently working without access to certain tools without access to certain platforms and and you know it 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 feels very much reminiscent of of when we were back in that day in mobile where we were just kind of building it as we went just Uh, getting it done kind of with the with the tools you could find right but not expecting the industry to offer quick solutions or turnkey solutions yeah no i mean it was it was rarely turnkey or simple um, you know, and, and 
again, that was part of what we loved about it back then. Uh, I think now we'd love a little bit more stability, uh, but uh, yeah, you know. there's a there's some give and take there, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure, um, and I mean, you know, just all of the all the changes that are happening from a regulations perspective, from a you know industry perspective on supply and demand to uh, you know just the way that we create and market brands uh, in the industry today is is different than what it was you know even a year or two ago. Um, you know when I first started going to dispensaries in, here in California back in uh, in the medical days, you know, I, I, I would walk in and it was all cultivars and mason jars, right? The edibles were still hand packaged in like cellophane with a nice bow and a note from the person that made them. And, right. you know, that, that was like a whole different ecosystem to where we're at even today, you know, and, and that was kind of what brought me into cannabis. Well, I, I've been a hmm. 20 plus year consumer, uh, you know, just being a California kid through and through, born and raised in Cupertino and lived in SoCal for, you know, the second half of my life after college. And I've always been around cannabis. Um, I wasn't always a consumer, but, you know, I came to it more from a recreational perspective at first. I see. Um, and it really wasn't until maybe four or five years in where I started realizing that it could play a more important role in my day-to-day -day life um, in helping me feel more like myself feel more confident in the skin I'm in and, and, you know, just really changed my outlook on, on life in general. Uh, uh, so really started um, consuming a little more regularly or exploring more like medicinal or kind of daily effects? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at my usage in terms of total volume, right, I was pro I'm probably consuming about the same amount now as I did then. Uh, the only difference being that I'm doing it in small amounts throughout the day rather than, you know, out, out at parties on the weekend and, and so on and so forth. Right. So, right. um, right. and it's, and it's interesting too, because I, I, I talk with a lot of brands about this, uh, when we look at potential growth of the market itself in the consumer side of the fence, um, a lot more people are coming to cannabis for medicinal reasons even though most of them would never raise their hand and say they're a medical user and so uh, there's you know, some level of uh of treatment or self-therapy yeah, that's, it's, that's it's being all, found you know, there we, we want to sleep better we want to have less anxiety we want to have less pain right these are all things that most people are coming to the plant you know to solve and while they would never say i'm a medical user you know, when you think about building your brand and building the product catalog that you're going to bring to market, you have to really think about addressing consumers where they're at. I, I find that there's an interesting dichotomy in the, in the industry today where a lot of brands are marketing to themselves. Hmm. So, so what not I mean, really, uh, go ahead. Yeah, was, what I mean by that is, if you ever have a conversation internally at your business where you say, well, I prefer to consume it this way. I prefer to shop in this capacity. You're already on the wrong foot because mm. you're only thinking about yourself. And we all know that with cannabis, 
everybody's usage is different, not just how they're consuming or what they're consuming, but the effects that they're getting even by consuming the same thing you and I might be, right? Right, biochemical so, differences kind of setting people apart even on the same dose or the yeah, same absolutely. same bowl or cultivar. Same exact product, right? And it's and it's a completely different experience from person to person. And so when when we talk to brands about, you know, really creating a brand that's sustainable and can grow not just in a city or a state, but nationwide, you know, it's better to build from data and an understanding of what consumers actually want. Far too many times I've seen brands bring a product to market that really there's no demand for it. And so they spend half of their time trying to create the demand rather than actually serving the needs of consumers that would buy their products if they actually created hmm. products that consumers were asking for. Yeah, that is an interesting point, right? Almost a, a fallacy there, spending time on just inventing the brand versus making a brand for an audience that's ready for it or that's available. There's a kind of um, skating where the puck is heading kind of mentality, right? Not just where it's at. That's right. Absolutely. And, and even, you know, having a discussion around who is your core consumer, right? A lot of times I'll, I'll ask and the response is usually some very generalized, well, it's, Dudes who smoke weed. That's so helpful. blanket consumer. Yeah. <laughs> Very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so it's, you know, really getting brands to think about things in a much deeper fashion than they've ever had to before, because we don't exist in the same market we did three, five years ago. You know, you could market products to dudes that smoke weed three or five years ago. So do you think the brand has become more important now, actually, as the industry has matured? Or has it always been kind of that same level of priority for a company or for a product? No, I mean, I think anytime you're dealing in a commoditized product, especially when it's an Epicurean product like cannabis, the brand is so important, right? And, and really having an understanding of who you are as a brand, right? Not just having a logo and a product with some cool packaging, but really understanding what your brand stands for, right? Mm. And, and what it is you're trying to accomplish in the market. Because if you don't know what territory you're staking your flag in, how are you ever gonna dominate it? Right, what are you looking for at that point? Or yeah. you're just gonna be shooting in the dark. Yeah. yeah I'm I, seeing I, a lot of similarities here with the uh, product management approach, um, similar to managing a brand or trying to build something for customers, you know, when making a product or making software, making it for a group of folks that doesn't exist yet is a horrible mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that level of kind of consumer awareness or marketplace awareness is definitely valuable. But yeah, I can first, see the that. The first thing I recommend anyone do if they're thinking about building a cannabis brand at all do research, right? Hit the books. You can, you can have <laughs> the best idea in the world and everything else, but do some research, right? Like figure out who else is doing it already. If no one else is doing it already, why aren't they? Maybe they've done the research and figured out that there's no money in it, right? And so sometimes being the first to market on a certain product or innovation or something 
you might not actually be first to market, right? You might actually be middle of market, but all the other companies that tried it first either didn't bring it to market or failed when they did. That's a good point. Yeah. Like you, if you find a niche or room for your brand, there may be a reason there's that room. Huh? Yeah. You got to play the double-edged sword. That's right. And I mean, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's hard for us as, as individuals and professionals, like we want to believe that our product is unique and, and no one else does what we do the way that we do it. And, and I think the most successful brands in the world do sit in those seats, but they also have a very good understanding of what they do well and what they don't ever want to do. Kind of their internal um, morals or kind of their internal direction and compass on. Yeah. I mean, even just knowing how you talk about your brand and market, right? How the words that you use on Instagram are going to be different than the words you use in an email. And those are going to be different from the, the things that you say in an advertisement, right? And knowing how to evolve them from platform to platform, uh, from creative to creative, you know, that all starts with an understanding of who you are as a brand. And if you haven't taken the time to write that stuff down and it's just in your founder's head, how are you ever going to get other people to understand who that is? Yeah, that that core needs to be there. It can't just be uh, makeup on a pig with a nice brand and yeah. good packaging, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, right, when, it, when, when we walk into a dispensary and we're presented with 25 different brands that all produce the same exact product, I mean, let's be honest, flour is flour is flour is flour. Now, each one of those individual cultivars is, is going to have something unique that is going to speak to the consumer, but the consumer will never know that if they don't resonate with your brand enough to pick up the box. Right. And so it's kind of that brand element, maybe the, the gateway before that flower, before the product itself yeah. it needs to kind of lure the consumer for lack of better words, yeah. uh, and there's, appeal to them. Yeah. Um, and there's been a, there's been a couple of times where I've gotten into conversations where the brands tend to point the finger at the bud tender. Well, the bud tenders are, they're, you know, they're, they're not trained enough and they're, they're constantly turning over and everything else. And my response to that is always the same. It is not the bud tender's job to sell your product. It is your job as the brand to sell your product. It is the bud tender's job to be a knowledgeable professional to steer a consumer in the right direction for the product that speaks to them and their needs. It is not their job to be a sales rep for your business. Right, right. So have you seen brands that try to push that, that element of branding and marketing off or they just blame the dispensary if it's not going right? Usually the latter. Uh, and you know, <laughs> That's and, an uncomfortable conversation at times, I And imagine. again, <laughs> at, well, yeah, and again, right, it, it could possibly be the dispensary's problem, right? And, and some, of that has to, right. some of that has to do with the brand not doing the research to understand that this specific dispensary, they only do maybe 13% of their total revenue in concentrates. So if you're a concentrate brand and that's all you've got to offer is 13, you're expecting high numbers, right? Is 13% of their total rev enough to, you know, move product for you, especially when you're going to be possibly up against anywhere from five to 10 other competitors in the same category. Yeah. Right. And when, when the branding is similar or maybe when the branding is at that same level of competition, 
that's where product quality is the differentiator. Yes, absolutely. Do you think that's really where the, um, the product itself comes to the stage? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the, the important component, and I've actually got an article coming out, uh, fairly soon in fat nugs magazine on, um, on a topic that I'm kind of passionate about. Uh, and I don't want to give too much away, but essentially the rubber meets the road when we talk about consumption, right? You can get someone excited about your brand, picking up your box, actually purchasing your product. But if when they get home, expectations are high and your product doesn't meet that expectation, you've just lost a customer and potentially all the people that that customer has access to that they're going to tell they had a bad experience with your brand. And it's never been easier for yeah. that to spread more virally than in today's day and age of social media. Right. One or two uh, bad reviews or expectations that weren't met can be a sinker. I know there's some products here in Vegas that unfortunately I've bought, man. And after the experience, it's like, all right, I know where to, where to draw the line maybe or where maybe a sale isn't worth it. And that level of quality is definitely part of the brand, but it's, it's weird that sometimes craftsmanship or quality is almost an afterthought uh, for these brands. What do you think about that approach, or is well, that changing? And Well, I think it, it gets back to the point I was making earlier, which is if you don't understand what brand you are, right, that's where this problem becomes a larger issue. If you're trying to be a top-tier brand that provides high-quality product and your price point is set because your quality is that high, right? that's one thing. If you want to be the low-price leader and you don't care if your quality is the best that's out there, you're just trying to move as much product for the smallest margin possible, totally different right. conversation. And there's room for both of those style brands in the market yeah, because that's where the consumers are. Yeah, right. I mean, because at every tier, we can't just cater to a top shelf or an, like an upper yeah. echelon because that's not what I smoke regularly. <laughs> that's not what, okay. that's not kind of what everyone smokes regularly. If it's a gift once in a while or if they're always smoking top shelf, they may have good, yeah. uh, good ends there or a nice, a nice market that they're in. Well, and it's funny because I've, I've gotten into conversations around uh, distillate, right? Uh, there's, two camps of thought around distillate in terms of it's hot dog water. On the other side, it's very easy to replicate from manufacturing facility to manufacturing facility where you can actually re you rely on that quality level being exactly the same as you expand your business. From yeah. a consumer perspective, right? Why, why would I want to smoke distillate on a regular basis? Because I need to make sure that I can rely on the fact that when I take two puffs off my vape, I get the exact same high I did two hours before when I took two puffs off my vape. Definitely dosage and consistency. I mean, even just consistency in manufacturing that you mentioned, like from a connoisseurship perspective, I understand the hatred towards distillate a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as just a consumer in the modern world, the convenience of distillate, at your hand or anytime needed and the convenience manufacturers have in creating it. I can definitely see why it's so, so popular there and dosage control is just another element. Uh, 
that's a really hard thing to do with cannabis often as you may load a bowl of like a certain height but you can't you're just going to eyeball that every time with uh, <laughs> with different flour from different brands it gets hard yeah and if you and if you're not keeping your if you're not keeping your uh hardware clean you know then, then you're getting other components that are mixing in there as well and it's you know you yeah. just you know you just never know what the outcome's going to be so Right. You know, that's for, one of the tips we learned on the Gangier side, man. That's right. Yeah. How, what do you think about the Gangier program? Um, for the listeners, Dan and I both graduated the Gangier program when we went. Um, there were about 12 or 15 testing, and there were six of us that passed the certification that day. So it definitely wasn't easy all the way through. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's the one thing. I've, I've had a couple of people reach out to me recently that are interested in getting involved in the, in the, in the program. And, you know, they just kind of wanted to get a sense of what to expect. And, you know, one of the first things I talked to them about is this is not a pay to play program. You don't pay your money. And then at the end of everything, collect your, your receipt and your uh, certificate and you're off and running. You actually have to work at this. It's, right. it's not something for the faint hearted or, or to just enter into lightly. And, and honestly, I mean, I got into the program for a couple of reasons, and and anybody that you know can find me on on LinkedIn, uh, you know I wrote about a, a fifteen hundred word essay on why I became a, gang, a certified Gangier, um, and part of that was that when I started working in cannabis as a marketer, I realized that I had been a twenty year consumer and knew absolutely nothing about the plant. I, I am the first to admit that. As soon as I started working in the industry, I was like, I don't know enough. I need to educate myself. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that as a marketer, it's my job to make sure that I'm speaking to consumers at a level where they can build trust with the brands that I work with. And if I don't know enough to create the right messaging and marketing programs, I'm putting the brand that I'm working for at a disadvantage. Um, and so that was kind of the first component of, of why I wanted to educate myself. So um, really to like maximize the, the value you can provide, right, from yeah. the marketing side yeah. um, with that cannabis vernacular and, and the know-how. Yeah. I think uh, it was a hell of a program to go through it and learn that appreciation. I think I'm in a similar boat as you in that I was a consumer and – relatively regularly, but maybe not always discerning one high versus the next or one type of effect versus the other or the dosage or duration. I think the program really put a light on consumption and connoisseurship that uh, is needed in the industry at this point with some of the high THC and brands that may be missing the mark, as you were explaining before. Well, I think what, what's changed about my consumption since the program is there's my day-to-day -day usage, right? That's, that's what gets me through every day, helps me feel you know, the way that I want to be feeling on a regular basis. And then there's my off-hours consumption, right? The, the, whether I'm going to a party or whether I'm you know, going home to just relax or if I'm you know, taking my wife out for dinner or whatever else. There's my, my off-time consumption, and that has totally changed for me. Uh, I think now when I have my off-time consumption, I actually take the time to like create a ritual for myself. 
you know, where, you know, I'm, I'm grinding up the flour in a certain way, uh, depending on the mood that I want to set for myself will determine whether I'm smoking a concentrate or I'm smoking flour. Uh, and, and those are kind of like my indulgences when I, when I move to concentrate or flour on my day to day, I'm using a vape cause it's, it's quick, it's easy. You know, the, the scent is, is not really there. So if I'm going to a meeting, you know, I, right, I lower I, combustion on the lungs yeah, as well. Ab- absolutely. So, you know, but then when I want to like, you know, chill for a while, yeah, I want to cut back. loose, I want to kick yeah. back, what it, whatever it is, right. I switch to something different. And, and honestly, you know, even beverages and, um, you know, mixers and enhancers have become a, a, a bigger play in my overall catalog of products that I bring into my, into my, uh, off hours consumption. And a lot of that has to do with where am I going to be consuming? You know, am I going to be at home? Am I going to be in my office? Am I going to be at a party? Whatever it is. And some of that is, hey, I'm going somewhere where I know people aren't really smokers. So I want to like kind of disguise it a little bit, tamp it back, <laughs> right? Like I don't need to throw yeah. it in their face, but I don't need to, you know, necessarily be drinking the whole time. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consume what I want to consume. Um, and so, you know, bringing, bringing some beverages to the party for myself, like planning for the set and setting yeah, or for the right environment. Set, set and setting for sure. Um, That's pretty wild now with such a diverse range of products to oh, choose yeah. from that with a little bit of product knowledge, you can start finding out for yourself, you know, what's the right amount of this gummy that I should be biting off to pair with this, you know, dab in the Puffco to get yeah. you right to the, you know, to the sweet spot. And it sounds kind of, it sounds kind of funny explaining it, or it sounds like more of an art, but really if we're a consumer, I think there is that, that fine line or that, um, that goal. Yeah. I think on the last episode, I mentioned this desensitization protocol I'm working on trying to follow and it has two sober days a week. And then the other days you try to do a bare minimum dosage and it's difficult, man, sometimes to, to keep it bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. Amen. You know, sometimes you just, you have one of those days and bare minimum ain't going to cut it. <laughs> For um. real. Yeah. It, it has been interesting to see sometimes that really the minimum like effect or how much it takes to get to that level is sometimes so small, like from a dab of diamonds or something, I'll get into the habit of grabbing a nice scoop. Yeah. And uh, then it's if you tone it back and realize, wow, just a little scrape was still the same. I think it's a, a little bit better approach, maybe more uh, holistic than uh, just getting blown away. But there are definitely times for that. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, I think, you know, and this is this is also partially what COVID brought into the scenario for a lot of people that consume on a regular basis is their consumption patterns have changed. Right, they used to smoke in specific time frames in their day. Now they're probably smoking or consuming about the same amount throughout the day, but they're doing it literally throughout the day. So you know they've got you know their their regimen that they tend to get in you know on the day to day where they know in the morning, hey my my tinctures work great for me to to get me through you know the morning because I'm usually achy after a long night's sleep and you know I, I need that for my arthritis. Awesome, right? right? If that's what if that's what works for you in the morning, do it, right? I'm I'm more of a hippie speedball kind of guy, right? I like <laughs> I like a little bit of cannabis with my coffee, um, and so you know I actually get up and going. That's right, and, and I actually <laughs> use a uh, I use one of my clients' products, My High, 
which is a water-soluble THC powder uh, that has uh, 30 milligrams of green coffee bean extract as well in there, right? So it's got a little extra kick of caffeine, and I dump that right in my coffee, stir that up, and I'm, I'm off and running. Uh, that's awesome which makes is, it quick yeah, and uh, makes it quick easy and right can get done with the family or you don't need absolutely. to be like uh, in private or out on the porch right absolutely <laughs> yeah i mean it's, and that which is great on those cold days right it's stepping outside when it's and, and for california i mean we're yeah i was like gonna say man we're spoiled degrees. over here it's 64 <laughs> degrees it's like way too cold for me to be outside Dan's um, in cali and i'm in vegas <laughs> so for all of you guys in the you know, the rest of the country in the world. Yeah, I'm sorry. sorry about winter. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the other thing that, that brought me to cannabis too was um, in 2016, I actually uh, lost my cousin to suicide. Um, he was having, uh, you know, severe back pain with deep depression. And, uh, you know, he called me up uh, a few weeks before he... Uh, you know, committed suicide and wow. he had, he had tried everything else. He had gone to doctors, he had, you know, CT scans and x-rays and they had tried everything and everything they possibly could and, and just could not solve his issues. Um, and so he called me up knowing that I was, you know, someone that used cannabis, uh, and, you know, started asking me some questions. And, and honestly, I, I didn't have much to tell him. I, I was like, here's what I like to smoke. It's a sativa. And, you know, that's kind of what I stick to. And, you know, that's about it. Um, and, and honestly, had I known then what I know now in terms of the plant and, you know, how to kind of guide someone through coming to the plant and to the experiences and to speaking to their needs uh, the way that I do now after going through the Ganjie program, do I think I could have saved him? I don't know. But do I think I could have prolonged his life a little bit? Maybe. Provided uh, some, some more detail yeah, or I mean, uh, a different kind of introduction. Or, yeah. or even just brought him some peace in his final days. You know what I mean? And that, right, that to me was like, I never wanted to be put in that situation again where someone came to me really looking for guidance in how to get to where they wanted to be as an individual by bringing cannabis into their life. And I, I feel like I failed them and I don't ever want to do that again with anybody. And so that was yeah, another big definitely. piece of the puzzle as to why I joined the Ganji program immediately, like the day it was announced, uh, was, was literally just to make sure that, you know, I was ready the next time it happened. Yeah, man, I'm sorry to hear about that, dude. Yeah, that's, I, that's rough, and it's it's something I think that the cannabis community is um, always sort of dealing with folks in and out of the either consumption scene or family, family and friends. And sometimes, you know, what can be treated by a routine, maybe, or some kind of medicinal or therapeutic approach, can be overlooked or. And like skipped. I said, even even if it's just to bring some day-to-day peace little joy yeah a little joy peace, and, yeah and you know and it's funny too because I, I talk about the joys of cannabis a lot uh because we we tend to kind of get stuck into two camps either medicinal or recreational and and i kind of feel like the joyous aspect of what cannabis brings to our lives uh between what we find in ourselves 
as well as the experiences we have with others that are like-minded and even if they're not like-minded just the engagement that we have with other people it, it develops this wonderful like joy in life that I haven't really been able to experience in any other capacity and I find that just that joyous aspect of the plant can be medicine in and of itself right even after like a long hard day at work maybe things didn't go the way that you wanted them to that day whatever else it is just getting to that point where you can go home and show up for your family without bringing that work home you know by by finding a little bit of joy uh through cannabis it it's it changes the game you know and and i find that definitely can help set that tone or yeah, keep I, the mood. I find that it doesn't have to be one camp or the other, you know. And, and like I said at the yeah. at the onset of this, right? I think people are coming to it for medical reasons, even though they they'll never raise their hand and say I'm a medical patient. It's kind of disguised, maybe under recreational use, but there's maybe a medical reason or a benefit, huh? Yeah, and I, think, I can definitely see that, man. I think my consumption is moving a little towards that kind of medical rec approach, yeah. and there's definitely a level that I'm consuming just to keep all projects rolling, stay busy and like keep the crazy thoughts <laughs> focused. <laughs> I prefer indicas and a little more sleepier uh, cultivars for that purpose. So I think like from a medical perspective, it could be argued there's some kind of ADHD going on, you know, that uh, is the real reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, you know, like I, I, I usually veer more towards, uh, you know, stuff that's going to give me a little bit of that body effect, but not too much. But I, I veer more towards the cerebral and a little and, headier. Feel. Yeah, I, I really like the headier stuff. It what it does for me is helps me organize my thoughts, you know, and so <laughs> it, it allows me to kind of really organize everything and compartmentalize those thoughts towards this is something I need to think about right now versus, Hey, this is a great thing to be thinking about, but may, maybe in a couple of hours, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and do you think brands are looking at consumers in that way? Or is that really the gap that you were pointing out where that kind of connection is sort of sporadic or missing? I think the, the biggest challenge that most brands have faced is that they lack first party data. They don't have data directly from the consumers that says, this is why I buy your product. This is where I buy your product. And this is the reason I buy your product, right? Like uh, it's right. No totally amount of metrics or revenue numbers are going to tell you that. And, and, and the, you know, you can get a little bit of information by going and setting up a booth at an event, but typically the consumers that are at that event are driven by the event itself. So you're only going to get a small subsection of your overall audience. And then as you start to think about being a single state operator versus a multi-state operator, my life in California is extremely different from someone else's life in say, New Jersey, right? And so understanding my day-to-day -day and, and the way that I do things versus their day-to-day -day and the way that they do things. So even on that demographic or state level, it could differ. Yeah. I mean, right. and it's, and it goes, to, it goes back to 
another conversation I have a lot with brands, which is the cannabis consumer is not some magnificent unicorn that exists in a vacuum, right? People that buy cannabis also buy toilet paper and toothpaste and potato chips. It's a a regular uh, CPG at this point. Well, it's, it's not necessarily a regular CPG, but the people that purchase it do so in a similar capacity to the way they, they purchase other CPG products. So if they veer, if they tend to veer more towards, I like to do my research online and then pick it up in store versus, hey, I like to go to the store and I like to walk around a little bit and see what's new, right? And so having an understanding of how do your consumers even shop, right? That's, that's a huge component of where do I put my marketing dollars, right? If I'm trying to reach, uh, you know, surfers, right? I'm not going to spend a lot of time marketing to them online when I know they spend all their free time on the beach. Right. I need to start building your pirate dispensary <laughs> out in open seas. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I mean, it's it just like thinking about it to that level, you know, it, it, it helps really target all of your strategies and your marketing efforts to a point where you know you're going and you know you're putting your brand where your exact consumers are existing. Focus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the online is not going to be the place for every brand. Just like in store is not going to be the right place for every brand. You want to have a nice combination of both. And typically the data you can generate online should help inform the information of how to market to those consumers in store. Right, right kind just, of creating that loop yeah, or both create, contributing. You create a flywheel of information coming back to your brand that you can then reposition stuff off of, you know, and, and, and understanding that the goal should be that even in tough times when the consumers that you speak to don't have as much disposable income, you still want to keep them with your brand. You don't want to lose them or basically say, oh, well, if you can't afford us, too bad, right? You want to be able to offer up the ability for your consumers that love your brand to go up and down your product catalog and from side to side across your catalog, right? And that sometimes means, hey, yeah, we might we might be a flower brand right now, but how could we incrementally grow our business without acquiring any new dispensaries by launching just a, one new product? Starting to look at wholesale things or different manufactured goods, tag something up. I tend to look at the strat, the retail strategy by most brands as a shotgun approach. I'm going to try and get my brand on as many shelves as I possibly can, right? And and hopefully, the dispensary is going to do enough to get enough people in there. The bud tender, the bud tenders are going to do enough to feature my product and everything else. And usually it's like, hey, I'm on that shelf. Great. We'll see you in a month when it's time to reorder, right? Whereas if you said, all right, we're in 400 dispensaries today, could we do the same amount of revenue, if not more, if we shrunk that number to 250 and actually focused our energies on those 250 because we know they're the exact right dispensaries for our brand? The amount of money you save in man hours of your sales reps going into dispensaries that don't fit your brand 
the amount of trust and relationship you're going to build with those retailers by letting them know, hey, I'm gonna be investing in your business. You're not just putting my product on your shelf. I'm gonna be investing my marketing dollars to get people in there to buy my product, which is me investing in your business. Right, that, really that maximizing starts, that input. Yeah, it starts it's... to build a, a little bit of trust there from brand to, brand to retailer and from retailer to, to consumer, right? Knowing that this brand really cares about me as a consumer of their product, you know, and knows that this is the dispensary I come in to buy it. Right, really connects the dots for the supply chain. Absolutely. And I saw on your, um, uh, on your Digital Phoenix Consulting description, there's a four-step process that you take folks through in marketing. Uh, could you quickly sum up those four steps for sure. us to wrap up the episode? Absolutely. So uh, the four steps are uh, define, design, deploy, and decode. Uh, and, and what those really represent is the four stages it should require to do almost anything with your brand. Uh, and the first step of define is the one that is most commonly skipped, which That's is really where we've been talking about that core, huh? Yeah. And which like, is to define, you know, your brand to define what your business stands for. And if you're launching a media campaign, define what the success look like, right? Defining things and putting them in writing, not only holds yourself accountable to those things, but it also allows you to go back and say, did we achieve success based on what we said we were going to do? Right. So that's that first step. Then design is taking that, you know, definition and, and actually designing out how are we going to take this to market? Right. What what is it going to look like? Where are we going to start? Right. And then deploy. Uh, that's pretty self-explanatory. Right. Get after it. Right. Get after <laughs> it and, and start actually doing the damn thing. Uh, and then decode is, is literally just making sure that you've got information coming back no matter what you're doing, right? And so when you're creating your brand and your products, that decoding might be doing some product market fit testing, right? Launch in a very small market, do a lot of stuff where you're asking for feedback from the consumers to make sure that your product is actually speaking to them the way that you want it to before you go expand into 200 dispensaries and then realize, hey, we missed the mark, right? So there's a lot of rationale as to why you must make sure that you're constantly bringing information back into your own brand, into your own company to make sure you're doing the right things. And if you're not, then you go back to square one and you redefine what it is you're, <laughs> you're gonna do. Yeah. I think that those four steps really break the process down into those kind of sections. And you can see how important it is for that uh, innovation cycle, right? For any new innovation or any changes to the brand, right. that data needs to be there. Otherwise, it's uh, shooting in the dark, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, and it, it can do so much for your business across a multitude of departments. It's not just about marketing. Right. It's about, it's, that's kind of the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And then it's just affects so much more once you have that, that data or those numbers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Dan, man, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about you and uh, Digital Phoenix Consulting? Sure. Uh, they can go to uh, digitalphoenix.co uh, or they can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, the last name is 
uh, W-I-T-T-M as in Mary, E-R-S as in Sam. Uh, so you can find me at Dan Whitmer's on LinkedIn. Definitely. Thank you for the insight and sure. the, the marketing know-how today. I think we'll have some more things to discuss down the road. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show and our range of services, visit apt113.com. We offer certified Gangier reviews, content writing, cannabis software and operations consulting, bud tender training, and more. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.